name. Amen. Amen. So are y'all doing good this morning? All right. Let me ask a question. Has any, any of y'all ever had something happen to them that was, made you want to just totally crawl inside yourself and just disappear? That made you, uh, maybe it was your kids that did it. Maybe they acted crazy in Walmart. Maybe they did something stupid, but made you totally want to retreat. Well, I had something like that happen, well, all the time. But the instance I'm going to tell you about is who came to Centuries? All right, it was great. I played Caiaphas, the high priest. I was the bad guy. And uh, Thursday night, it goes without a hitch. The play goes great. Uh, Friday, it goes great. Saturday, great. I'm giving what many have said is an Oscar-worthy performance. I mean, it is good. Sunday, 9 a.m., it is great. Sunday, 11 a.m., I'm doing my thing. We get to the scene of the adulterous woman. Katie is the adulterous woman. She gets drugged down here. I improvise a line because that's what Oscar winners do. They improvise. So I, I did my improvised line, and then I stood up to face Jesus, which is Corey right there. And I told Jesus, I said, Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of a of a of a of a of a of a and I short-circuited right there on stage. I could see myself behaving in this way, and there was nothing I could do about it whatsoever. It's like God factory reset me right here on stage. And it was so embarrassing. I got, Ben was like, the Holy Spirit must have been here because I was on stage. I did not hear anything that happened, or I would have died laughing. I'm looking into Corey's eyes as I'm a duh, of a duh, of a duh, and Corey is... Man, he is playing the part of Jesus good. I'm thinking, he probably thinks, man, I just want to heal him right now. I, I just need to heal him. You know, like, heal the spirit of Tillis on him. So it's not done then. So we get home and give a shout out to our media team. Well, we stream all these things live. So that means there's a copy forever. So we get home, and my wife and Macy and my kids, we get to replay this experience over and over and over and over. And Kenley, Kenley's like, rewind it. Did you hear Dad go, of a dad, 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 of a dad? Thank you so much, Kenley. That, you're really inspiring. But we've had those moments. Or we've had those segments of our life that made us totally withdraw. That's a funny instance, but we can have those times, those things in our life that make us totally turn inwards, and we don't want to come out. They make us get lost. Do we have any um, outdoorsmen in the house? Love the outdoors? Uh, okay, cool. Outdoors women. I am sorry. I didn't mean to exclude you. That's cool. I know Stacy Harris, the Harris family, are... Really, they love the outdoors. They are hunters. Uh, Stacy Harris, if you dropped him in the middle of a long-lost rainforest with a case knife, he would come out with leather that he had killed from an animal, new uh, stuff, uh, and he would weigh 10 more pounds, and his beard would look as good as ever. I am not that dude. I am not the guy. I, I, there is a reason Stacy is good at that, because he's prepared. He's done that his whole life, right? See, our... The culture we live in has done a really excellent job of marketing outdoor brands and stuff like that. If you notice, sometimes I'll wear North Face, Patagonia. I try not to, I, wore, I bought a few Patagonia hats, and it's like they make them too small for my head. It looks like I'm wearing a Patagonia yarmulke. It looks so weird on my head. But I like. 
Patagonia. I like North Face. I like Timberland shoes. I like all that stuff. But here's the deal. If I put on my best Patagonia threads, I put on my North Face jacket, I put on my Timbos, I buy a $300 backpack and I put on a toboggan, and you drop me in the middle of the Alaskan wilderness, I will not survive. <laughs> I promise you that. Just because I buy all the stuff that makes me go outdoors does not mean I am prepared for that adventure. I am not prepared for that adventure. See, I don't have the experience needed to survive any of that. There needs to be preparation, right? Training and then an aptitude to be able to apply all that to that particular scenario. And I'm, I'm not that guy. See, we romanticize the outdoors. I think we got shows like uh, Yellowstone. I know y'all might not say you've watched it. I've never seen it. We got any Yellowstone fans in the house? All right. I believe Kevin Costner could go into a fight with a bear with pure dances of a wolf's charisma, and the bear would end up on the bottom. He is that dude. He's the quintessential outdoors frontiersman. So here's the deal. We got shows like Survivor. Anybody watch Survivor? There's a show on Netflix called Alone that's a, another survival show. And then there was this, it wasn't really a survival show, kind of an animal show that I personally love where he would go around showing you different wildlife. Anybody watch The Crocodile Hunter? This snake right here has enough venom to kill a whole heap of people. She's a beaut. Oh, you're a naughty girl. You're naughty. Man, when Steve Irwin died, I felt like I lost a friend. You know it? I love that dude. But there's something about the pioneer spirit, the adventure, which calls out to us. But the problem is... A lot of us are not prepared for the wilderness. See, the wilderness is a vast and wild place that is both breathtaking and life-taking. This brings me to my inspiration for the next two weeks. See, I'm a sports enthusiast. I love sports. If you know me, I love sports. I watch it all the time. Matter of fact, me and Bo watched, uh, he was rooting for the Lakers. I'm rooting for the Warriors, and the Warriors happened to get blew out last night, and... Um, no, God wasn't in that, you know. <laughs> but I love sports. And a few months ago, I was watching the Pat McAfee show, waiting on Tiffany to get out of the doctor. And I'm waiting for Aaron Rodgers to make a decision of whether he's going to go to the Jets, stay with the Packers, or retire. And, I, and I'm glued to my phone like this. I'm looking at it. And Aaron Rodgers, if you've ever followed him, is a kind of a cerebral type guy. He's a, some would say he's a strange cat. He's very interesting anyway, and he tells of how he arrived at this decision. And he goes into saying he spent three days and three nights in a sensory deprivation room with nothing at all, no light, no sound, nothing except him and his thoughts. I thought, man, that thought right there arrested me. Total isolation to get clarity. That's weird. You know, sometimes our isolation can cause more damage than it can. We don't get clarity. So this thought arrested me, and God planted a story in my head that I've heard several times, but I thought started thinking about it in a different way. You ever heard the story about when Jesus goes to the wilderness to be tempted by Satan in Matthew 4? See, if you don't know the story, I'm going to give you a refresher anyway. Uh, Matthew 4, 1 through 11, what we know is he gets baptized by John, and then he gets led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Him and Satan have a back and forth. Jesus is ultimately triumphant, and then Jesus goes on to pursue his purpose. 
So we're going to start in Matthew 1 and 2. Stay with me, screen person. Kelsey, you're not just a screen person. You're Kelsey. Matthew 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. That's what we're going to focus on for right now. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit to the wilderness. See, our interpretation of the word wilderness belies the danger behind the word. Wilderness in the Smokies. Anybody had a family outing there? Wilderness in the Smokies? Or you watched the show with your kids, the backyardigans? Into the thick of it. And I don't know why I needed to do that when I signed it, but I, it just felt good. But the wilderness actually translated from the ancient Greek, which it's used in the Bible, actually means this. It's the word edermos. And it means solitary, lonely, desolate, uninhabited, deserted by others, deprived of the aid and protection of others, especially of friends, acquaintances, and kindred. All alone. See, Jesus, Jesus and Aaron Rodgers' isolation got me thinking. See, when we think of temptation, usually we think of outside influences, right? I know my parents, when I was going through my stuff as a teenager, thought the friends that I hung around was directly related to how I was acting, and rightfully so, some of that is. There's an automatic connection between our brain and others and people in temptation. But the Bible says that Jesus went to the wilderness to be tempted, the solitary, lonely place where there is no one, devoid of contact, no family, no friends. Anybody ever been in a room full of people and felt absolutely alone? See, here's the deal. I think Jesus knew the biggest temptation we will encounter, the greatest conflict we will ever have, is not with external forces. It's from that desperate, desolate part of us that's having that internal dialogue that can either bury us or carry us. See, the real battle is up here. The real battle is in your mind. There's a girl named Julianne Kepka. She was 17 years old back in 1971. This was Christmas Eve. Julianne had grew up in the Peruvian rainforest. She grew up there with her parents. They operated a reserve in the rainforest. So she grew up preparing for life in the rainforest. Well, Julianne was taking a flight back home. It was Christmas. She was going home, and it was just her and her mother. She was going to meet her father. They're already mad because the flight has been delayed by seven hours, but they get on there, and they're going. Well, they enter a dark cloud on the flight. Anybody been in a dark cloud that made you just not know what to do? Well, they, she said they entered into a dark cloud, and suddenly they start to feel turbulence. The plane is moving in an unnatural way, even more so than it usually would. And the next thing Julianne sees is a strike of lightning outside the plane, and the engines start to fail. Luggage, gifts, Christmas presents start to fly all over the plane. And then Julianne's mom says, oh, my God, this is it. This is the end. The next thing Julianne knows, she is outside of the airplane. The plane is completely burst open. She is hurtling towards the earth, two miles above the earth, strapped into her seat. The next thing she knows, she's waking up. And she thinks, oh, my God, I'm alive. Thank you, Jesus. I'm alive. And then she immediately thinks, oh, my gosh, where's my mom? Where's everybody else? What do I do? 
her training kicks in. Julianne unstraps herself. She starts to survey her wounds. She assesses the situation. She knows she's got a broken collarbone, severe lacerations to her leg and her shoulder, and later she would find out she had a torn ligament in her knee, but she kept going. She surveyed what was around, and all she could find was a bag of candy. And then she started to move towards water. That's what her dad had always taught her. Life is near the water. So you go towards the water. She only had one shoe, mind you, because she had been separated from the other one. So she kept that one shoe so she could do this in front of her because she knew that snakes and other things would camouflage herself. So she kept that one shoe. Or her dad had told her, hey, piranhas will only attack you in shallow water. You need to be deep. So she does what her dad tells her. She gets deep in the river. She starts to drift downriver. This is days. She's drinking river water. She's eating candy, and that's all she has to sustain herself. She feels completely alone. Nobody else but her in the world. And she doesn't know if she's ever going to see her dad, her mom, or anybody else. But she keeps going. The next thing she sees at about day six or seven is a king vulture. And she knew it was a king vulture because of her time on the reserve. And she knew the only reason a king vulture was around because there was decay in the air. King vultures hone in to the scent of rotting flesh. So she started freaking out on the inside. What was she going to see next? A little bit later, she comes up on some plane seeds that are buried into the ground. Fearful that it might be her mom, she gets a stick and looks at the women's feet. Knowing that her mom didn't use toe polish, she's seen, she seen these people did. She was immediately relieved and then felt ashamed because it was somebody's mom. She keeps, she keeps going. She keeps going down the river. At day nine, she washes up on shore, and she is almost hallucinating. She is malnourished. She is to the point where she is about ready to die. The wounds that she has, she's about to get overcome by them. She washes up there and looks to her side, and she thinks she's hallucinating. She sees a big boat. Julianne puts her hand on the boat, and it's actually there. So she has a shot of adrenaline. She gets up. She surveys the land. She sees a trail going into the jungle, and Julianne goes there, sees the little hut. Well, she goes in there. Nobody's there, and what she knows is that hunters use these huts, and they might not come back for weeks, but she knows there's people around somewhere. So she starts to look at her wounds, and she's looking at this one that's starting to get infected, and she said maggots had started to infest this wound right there. So her dad, had had a, they had had a dog, and her dad had treated this wound by pouring kerosene in her dog's wound. She's like, she siphoned the gas out of the boat, poured it on her wound, and she said the pain was excruciating as the maggot started to retreat back trying to get away from the gas. She said she picked out like 30, 35 maggots, and she was so proud of herself for having achieved this. But afterwards, she passed out, whether it was from sure exhaustion or whatever it was, she didn't know, but she passed out. The next thing Julianne knows is that she wakes up to the sound of voices. And some men come in. She said, they must have thought I was like a river goddess or something because there was this little white girl in a hut right there all beat up. And she's like, I spoke to him in Spanish and said, hey, I'm a survivor of the crash. They immediately clothed her, they gave her food, and they got her to the nearest civilization. A day later, 10 days later, after the immediate, after initial crash, she is reunited with her dad. She had hung on for 10 days in the rainforest with nothing but water and candy and pure will to survive. They, never, they found her mom, but her mom was dead. Matter of fact, nobody survived the crash except her. 
See, the thing that separated her from all the other people and the people that survived these kind of situations, it was preparation. Her parents had prepared her for life in the wilderness. See, even though she could have never imagined this tragedy would happen, her parents had prepared her for it. See, have you ever heard the expression, nothing could have ever prepared me for that? Whether it had been a death or something or, or, or divorce. Nothing could have ever prepared me. Well, here's the deal. It's not if you're going to encounter the wilderness. It's when you are going to encounter the wilderness. And are you going to be prepared? Are you going to be prepared? Well, here's the deal. There is a way you can help prepare yourself. And Jesus in the Bible kind of lays a roadmap out of how you can prepare a survival guide of sorts for the wilderness. And here's your first fill-in. Surround yourself with those that intercede, not impede. And what I mean by that is you need people around you that are praying into the void for you because there's some people that are prepared for the wilderness or there's some people that's already been to the wilderness and you need those people on your side praying into your situation. You need people that are going to prepare. Here, we'll call it a search party. You need those people. This brings us to our next scripture, Matthew 3, 1. Jesus had a cousin by the name of John the Baptizer. For my Baptist friends, we'll say John the Baptist. But he had a friend. We'll just call him JTB, okay, Brent? JTB. But he had a cousin. And here's, we hear a little bit about his ministry in Matthew 3. In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness, the same place as Jesus would go to be tempted, and began preaching. His message was, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, He is a voice shouting in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. See, you need someone, you need friends, you need family that have been through their own wilderness that are willing to fight tooth and nail for you. Jesus himself had a man calling out from the wilderness, preparing the way for him. See, I do not think it was coincidental that we have a man, JTB, that was sitting in the middle of the wilderness, calling out for the wilderness, preparing the way for Jesus to go there and be tested. I don't think it's coincidental at all. See, here's the deal. I, thank God I had a praying wife. I have a praying wife. Thank God I had a praying mom that kept praying and praying for me, that prepared the way for me, that would not give up even when I was lost in the vast wilderness of addiction, despair, loneliness, depression, divorce, self-hate. They would not give up on, on me at all. There was an internal mental struggle that I was going through that was a veritable wasteland where her and several others of you that were in here prayed into that void until light overcame the dark. You need those people in your life. And let me be clear about this. Just because I'm a pastor now, just because I teach on Wednesday night, just because I'm here at Celebrate Recovery, just because I'm coming up on six years clean, does not mean I still do not experience the wilderness. It does not mean that whatsoever. Here's the deal now. I am not lost like I once was. I'm not lost, but I can still go hiking in the wilderness. You know what I mean? I can still entertain those thoughts of you're not good enough. You're not, hey, you're not, you've not really changed. We can all go back to whatever that is in our heads that tells us we're not good enough. But here's the, here's the deal. We got, I got people like Ben. I got my wife. I got other friends, Pastor Amanda, 
that are sending up out SOSs on my behalf. They're sending out SOSs on my behalf. The difference is, like I said, I am not lost in the wilderness, but I can still go hiking. See, no matter what phase you are in, whether you are lost or you're just hiking from time to time, what you need to know is a simple detour can turn into your destination. It can turn into the place where you stay at, camp out, and you camp on a thought, and it ends up germinating and turning you into this foul person that is not who God intended you to be. Because you can be, the wilderness can be a place where you get revelation, or you, it can be a place where you get devastated. You need people around you that intercede, not impede. Number two, know your navigation. See, experienced outdoorsmen like Ben, Amanda, and hunters, they know where they're going. They know how to use a compass. They know how to use maps. They know what, what they're doing with these maps. They've studied various things. They know if they get lost, they know how to get out. They have the knowledge of different geographic locations. They know how to use their phone for situations. They can look at the sun and see where they need to be if they get lost. I cannot do that. I would just get more lost. See, Jesus might have never been where he was going before, but he knew the Word of God. He knew the Word of God. In Matthew 4, the devil repeatedly tempts Jesus in various forms, and Jesus replies the same every time. It is written. Today we would say, the Bible says, but Jesus says, it is written. Every time the devil tries to, to tempt Jesus with something, Jesus, like the Bible says, he knows the Word of God. Jesus is led to the wilderness, and he is without food. He's malnourished, and not only is he up against the elements and the hunger of fasting, he's up against his mind. And the one thing he has in his survival bag is the knowledge and, knowledge and understanding of Scripture and the protection and courage and strength you can have from it. How many of you know it's not enough just to have knowledge of the Scripture? I can know the Scripture. Um, philosophers and everybody else know the Scripture. But if you have an understanding of the Scripture and the wisdom that comes from it, then you can apply power to your life. When you not only know it, Paul, but when you can apply it to your life and you absolutely believe that it's the Word of God, it can lead you out of being, being lost. Amen? See, Jesus wasn't using the Bible in an ineffective way. He was using it as the power, nav powerful navigational and instructional tool that it was. The Pharisees and Sadducees, they knew the Scripture front and back. You know it? But they used it for control and manipulation. See, the devil knows the Scripture in the same way. And we've got to be aware of the powerful instrument that we have on our phones, on our bedside table. It is just not a novelty item. It is the living Word of God, and it can help you through any situation. Jesus himself used this Scripture to fight against anxiety and fear. And if you don't believe Jesus experienced anxiety or fear, I challenge you to read your Bible. He knows the biggest battle we will ever face is in the vast expanse. It's in the wilderness of our minds. See, the most dangerous thing you'll ever face is not the addiction. It's not the despair. It's not the divorce. It's not the abuse. It's not the unworthiness. It's when we replay those events over and over in our mind. They keep turning over and over in our mind. It's when we get stuck in that negative feedback loop that tells us who we are. See, if you have the knowledge and understanding of Scripture and you can apply that to your life, you can speak truth to power. 
You ever heard the saying, speak truth to power? I know it was popularized back in the 50s, and it meant fight against the government. But here, quite literally, when you speak the Word of God, you're speaking the powerful truth that it reveals, and you can apply it to your life, and it is life-changing. It is life-changing. In 1999, my wife loves the Kennedys, so I gave this, life for her, this, this story for her. In 1999, JFK Jr. flew a small airplane from New York City to his family home in Massachusetts for a wedding. On board was his wife, Carolyn, and her sister. Though Kennedy was a licensed pilot, he had not yet been approved for instrument flight. What that means is using only instruments to navigate. When their takeoff was delayed until after dark, Kennedy should have waited for daylight or sought a more experienced pilot to help. Yet, being the Kennedy that he was, Kennedy took off into the darkness. The plane never reached its destination, and all three passengers were, were killed in the crash. Investigators determined that the crash was likely caused by disorientation from flying over open water at night without any landmarks or a visible horizon. Kennedy's lack of experience may well have led him to trust what he thought he was seeing more than his instrument panel was telling him. I think a lot of us have done that. We face the temptation of believing what the enemy tells us, to tell, believing what our mind says and not what the Word of God says in our lives. We all fall prey to that temptation. See, God's Word can keep you from crashing. Human reason will fail us at times. Man, I am the world's worst of kicking myself and replaying stuff and analyzing stuff until it bites me in the butt. But God never fails. His Word can keep us from getting lost. See, we can know the terrain and we can survive the most unexpected things that life's going to throw our way. Number three, communication leads to conquering. Communication leads to conquering. If you're lost for the first time or you're someone that's just wandering or hiking, prayer matters. Prayer matters. Jesus stayed connected with his Father, and so should we. See, here's a couple of ways that Jesus stayed connected that I think we can learn from. Number one is Jesus stayed connected during demanding seasons. During this story, we're hearing about Jesus getting led to the wilderness to be tempted. And where Jesus fasts for 40 days and he prays for 40 nights, fast and prays for 40 days and 40 nights. And you're like, Casey, the story only says that he fasted for 40 days. Well, here's what I can tell you. If you are fasting, you are praying. If you are not praying, all you're doing is dieting. That's it. Well, Jesus met this headlong, and I can tell you this is probably part of the reason that he overcame the enemy in his wilderness, is that he was praying for the moment. He was preparing for the moment. Number two, before a big decision. See, on the night Jesus chose his 12 disciples, Jesus prayed about it. This big decision prompted an all-night prayer session. Jesus prayed about who was going to be around him. I don't even pray. Uh, man, have, anybody, have any of y'all prayed about who your friends should be? We, we don't invite Jesus into the big decisions and wonder why our lives are wrecked. I just want a new vehicle. I don't care if I have to pay 27% interest. And I'm like, God, why am I in debt? We didn't invite Jesus into that decision. It's important that we start praying about who is around us, where we are. It's, it's vital. 
Because who, we who we're around and who we're associated with can get us lost quicker than anything. And this is for all the single people out here. Yeah, can I talk to you just for a minute? And I'll go ladies first. And yet, who all single out here? Ladies? Come on. They're like, Macy's like, yeah, that's me, Casey. That's me. Hi. That's pretty good impersonation, wasn't it? And spot on. See, you could have gone through relationships. You could have gone through bad relationships. You could have been through divorce, all manners of things. You could be going through everything. You're like, why can I not find a husband? Why can I not find the one? And this will leave you feeling rejected and make you questioning yourself all the time. God, I'm not good enough. I don't bring anything to the table. Guys are always messing with me. They're always playing with my heart. See, Proverbs 18, 22 says this. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. Now, here's what it does not say. It doesn't say who finds a, he who finds a girl he is attracted to that he goes out on a date with, that he becomes, a girl, that becomes his girlfriend, who then becomes his fiancée, who then becomes his wife, finds a good thing. It does not say all that. You are not a wife when I marry you. You are a wife when I find you. You become a, my wife when I marry you. A wife is not the presence of a ring. It's the presence of your character. That's it. Here, here's the deal. Too many girls and women are walking around here acting like a girlfriend. You're not walking like the woman of God, the wife of God that you are. When you start living like a wife, I promise you a husband will find you. If you start living, keep living like a girlfriend, these boys are going to keep playing with you. Same goes for the men. That's just not it. No, it wasn't just for you girls. Same goes for the men or the young men. You are to love your wife as what? As Jesus loved his bride, willing to die for them. Too many men are acting like boys and are not willing to make the sacrifices it takes to find and keep a wife. And all these things can leave us feeling rejected in the mind and feeling like we are not good enough from both fronts when it is on us to live like we are called to be. Amen, that's good. That went over well. So happy. Number two reason, or next reason, when in need. No, we did that one, didn't we? No, we didn't. Jesus' prayer session in the Garden of Gethsemane probably ranks as one of the most heartfelt things in the Bible. You see Jesus praying in anguish in the garden, saying, God, will you let this cup pass from me? God, please. So if you don't think God had, Jesus had anxiety and fear, just look no further than this right here. Jesus was scared about what was going to happen. Here's the deal. Is Jesus was all alone in the wilderness preparing for the wilderness. His wilderness was the cross. It is important that we pray all the time. You might not ever face that Gethsemane moment, but you're going to face something. You're going to face something. And Ephesians 6, 18 says, Pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayer and requests, laying our needs, trivial and otherwise, before God. Here we see Jesus preparing for the wilderness in the wilderness. Y'all got your cell phones with you? Everybody, do you leave anywhere without your cell phone? How many times a day do y'all charge your cell phones? Be honest. That's a lie. 
But you might, that might not be you. But how, how many else? Two, three times a day? Two, three times a day? I mean, my kids use mine. I have to plug mine up two or three times a day. I don't know. I mean, you know what I'm saying? But here's the deal is I keep my phone charged two or three times a day, but I don't expect to stay connected to God two or three times a day. I think I can just put, plug it in, charge it on Sunday, and then I'm good for the week. I think I am good. Hey, I can just, hey, I went to church Sunday. I am ready for everything this week is going to throw at me. No, you need to be plugged into the source three, four, five times a day, keeping yourself charged at all times. This is, this is completely useless when it is dead. It does me no good. My daughter, Chloe, is notorious for watching stupid YouTube videos all day that I hate. I don't makes no sense. And then when she's ready for a ride, her phone's dead. She has wasted all the energy, all her resources, and all, everything else where she does, not have, she, her, she does not have access to a phone. She has to borrow Ansley's phone or Katie's phone. Here's the deal is that once we are not charged... It might not be that we don't have access to God, but we don't even know how to charge anymore. We have become so isolated and so lonely that we can't even find our source. One more thing. I am, I'm kind of old school, but I know when I used to not have my charger and I'd plug it into somebody else's, an icon would come up. And this icon would say, this is not your charger. This could do harm to the battery. Have anybody ever seen that before, that particular icon? A lot of us are depending on other people's, other, another person's relationship with God and not your own. And you cannot require somebody else to have a relationship with God for you. It is not going to happen. You cannot, I cannot rely on Ben's relationship with God to get me out of the wilderness. I thank God for Ben. I thank God for his prayers. But if I don't have a connection with God, I am surely going to be lost. I need my own relationship with God. Tiffany used to say, uh, hey, we can call D and have him pray for us. I was like, no, I can pray for you. <laughs> I mean, I'm just as good as D. I might not take my shoes off. <laughs> but I'm just as good as D. The point I'm making is it's really hard to turn that mirror back and start praying for ourselves. It's really, it's really easy to encourage and pray for somebody else, but it's really hard to say, God, I need this in my life. I need you desperately. I need something from you. And here's the deal. Is we don't, I needs to be removed. God, please make me like you. Please make me like you. Here's what Jesus knew. You can either go to the wilderness and get lost, or you can go there and get liberated. You can either go there to get lost or you can go there and get liberated. See, we are going to go through trials. We're going to go through disappointment. We're going to go through suffering. We're going to go through mental struggles. See, we are going to be tempted. But just know this. Jesus was tempted first. Jesus did it first. See, the word temptation here or tempted that is used here is the word Pirazo and uh, Bobby and y'all, y'all can come on up here. Pirazo, and it means this: it means to test, tempt, to try to trap, or to examine oneself. I think that last part's interesting. To examine oneself. Well, you think of the word temptation, we automatically think it's somebody testing us. 
But wait, Jesus was here. Here's the deal. It's Jesus got led by the, the Spirit into the wilderness. How many knows the Spirit is not going to lead you somewhere that you're going to get defeated? Jesus' battle was already won. He was going there to examine himself of what his purpose was and how he was going to overcome that. And that was the biggest obstacle he was ever going to face is him looking in the mirror. I bought this, this cheap mirror right here, Bubba. Pretty cool mirror, right? He loves it. Bubba loves it. Rubba bub bub. See, Jesus went there quite literally to be tempted by Satan. But he went there to take a look at himself and what he had to do and the challenges that was coming up. He knew that. See, I bought this old mirror right here. But what do we see when we really look at ourselves? How many of y'all like looking in mirrors? See, most of us see this when we look in the mirror and examine ourselves. We look into a mirror of value and we see the word worthless. We look into the mirror of success and we see the word failure. We look into the mirror of intelligence and see the word stupid. We look into a mirror of competence and see the word inadequate. We look into a mirror of acceptance and see the word rejected. We look into a mirror of confidence and see the word insecure. We look into a mirror of comparison and see the word inferior. We look into the mirror of performance and see the words not good enough. We look into the mirror of sufficiency and then we see the words not enough, period. See, to be honest, I don't even like looking in the mirror. I'm not a particularly attractive man, as Ben pointed out in the first service. But I, I don't even like looking in the mirror that much. I can see my crow's feet. I can see all the scars that I've got from getting in fights and losing some of them. But I can look in this mirror and I see all those things that I just read to you. I can see all those things. Ben, if you look from right here, what do you see? Just from right here. Don't get closer. Well, you said just, it's kind of distorted it, right? You can see marks. That's it. Get closer. What do you say? Fingerprints. That's interesting. You see fingerprints. See, here's the deal. Is that when we can look in ourselves in the mirror and we are not close to God, we are going to see the marks. We are going to see the things that society has told us about ourselves. But the closer we get to Jesus, the closer we see his fingerprints all over our lives. The closer we get to him, we start seeing. And here's what I loved about Tiffany, and I still love. When I was in my mess, when I was an addict, when I was a thief, when I was a liar, when I was all those things, but I was insecure, I was all these things, I hated myself. She reflected a mirror image of Jesus back to me. She started telling me these things that I was, even though I wasn't those things. See, the Bible says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Casey, you are a saint. Casey, you are chosen. Casey, you are dearly loved. You are holy. You are reconciled through Christ's blood. You are justified by Christ's blood. You are free from condemnation through Christ Jesus. 
the closer you get to that mirror, the more you examine yourself, the closer you get to Jesus, you start seeing his perfected nature through your imperfections. You start seeing the fingerprints on your life that he molded you and he shaped you into the person that's standing there. And it's with purpose. It's not by accident. He made you into that person that's standing there. Now, the world might have threw the wilderness at you. You might have got lost at times. You might have took detours, but his hands never left your life. And if you will totally let him take control, then he will reveal his purpose. And you will not only live in the wilderness, you will thrive in the wilderness. Y'all can, can stand up. See, Jesus went to the wilderness to be tempted so you can have victory over temptation. See, quite literally, Jesus died on the cross and was raised again for your sins so you can have life and have it more abundantly. But Jesus went to the wilderness to be tempted so you could overcome that temptation. He didn't just go to the wilderness. He tamed the wilderness. He conquered the wilderness so you could overcome the wilderness. See, we hear this all the time and being alluded to it earlier, that victim mentality. We hear the phrase, don't be a victim, be a survivor. And that's a great saying. I think it's great. But Jesus didn't die on the cross and overcome the wilderness for you to be a survivor. He did it so you could be an overcomer. Hey, survivors tell their stories, overcomers, other people tell their story. So if you're here today, and I know you are, because you're me, you're a person, you're a human. It's all of its nature to withdraw inside of ourselves and to not focus on our God-given identity and to really hammer and hone in on the things that the world has said about us, the things we tell ourselves, the lies that the enemy tells us. And we start seeing that distorted view that just looks like marks from a distance. But when we get closer and closer, we can see the plan that God has for our lives. So if y'all bow your heads real quick, I'm going to give two altar calls. The first one is for people that are lost. And they you might have been lost for a long time, or you might have been... You know, here's the thing about being lost, is you don't know you're lost until it's too late. You don't know you're lost until it's late, to, until it's too late. So there's could be people here that are lost in familiarity and being comfortable. Or you could be lost in a sea of self-hate. Or you could be lost in inadequacy. Or maybe you've just lost, period, and you don't know Jesus. If that's you, raise your hands. I know there's somebody. Amen. Amen. Anybody else? Amen. Amen. I see y'all. We're going to say a prayer, and I want everybody to say it with us. Say, Dear Jesus. I am lost, but I know you sent your son to find me. God, I ask you to come into my life and save me. I thank you for what you did for me in the wilderness. In Jesus' name, 
Amen.